0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: If you're not already seated here across the campuses at 12 Stone Home, go ahead and grab a seat. And that song is where we're going today. I'll get to that in a minute. But that song is the, is the guts of where we're headed today, that we serve a God who's chasing us down. And he, he sent a son, Jesus, that loved us so much that he would take our place. And we're going to get to that. And maybe today you're here, one of our campuses at 12 stone home, right here at sugarloaf. Maybe you showed up today and you don't know it yet, but this today is going to be the day where you surrender your life to Jesus. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. But man, we're, we're starting in the middle of this series where we're walking through the Nicene Creed. For those of you who are like the Nicene, what now? What's that? It, It was a creed that was written in the early church, like 325 AD. Where the church sort of got together and said, we've got to codify the truth of of what we believe. Of of all these words in Scripture, there are some core beliefs that make us distinctly Christian. And they took the the, the story, all of Scripture, and put it down to like a one-pager. Like the cliff notes, if you will. And these are the things that we have to grab a hold of. And, and, and maybe you don't know this, but there are stories popping up across our campuses all over the place of God transforming people through this series. I can't go into much detail because these stories are fresh, but there's, there's people who grew up in other religions that someone drug them to church and they've, they've they showed up on Easter and they, they've sat in every week of this series and, and the Holy Spirit's opening their eyes to who our God is, that he would send Jesus and they're understanding who Jesus is and their lives are being transformed unchurched and dechurched people who sort of gave up on God and said, yeah, that's not for me. I grew up around the church. I know what that feels like. That's not me. And they sat inside this Nicene Creed series and they're understanding the real truth of who God actually is and their lives are being transformed. We've heard from countless believers who've walked with God for weeks, months, years, decades, that they said, I never knew the depth of what, what God actually did for me. See, that's our hope in this series is not to just make a a more educated intellectual church is to is to actually help us understand the unchanging truths that you should be building your life on. See, and that's more important than ever in our culture, because it feels like the tides of culture come in and out every 60 seconds or so. And it's like what used to be right is now wrong. and what used to be wrong is now right. And you go, how do I build a life in this? So you grab a hold of these truths that are unchanging, and that's what you build your life on. Now, just a side note, I don't want to thank you, church. We've had many people praying for Pastor Kevin. Maybe you didn't know this. He had COVID a couple weeks ago, and he has been fighting through that. And as of Friday, he's cleared from having to quarantine. He's back to himself. Thank you, God. Thank you for your prayer. Thanks for God's faithfulness. And technically, Pastor Kevin could have preached today, but but he he saw the topic and he called me on Thursday and he was all like Jason, it's too hard. Will you do it? And I was like, yep, Pastor Kevin, I'd be happy to. He never said that. I'm sorry. He's watching at home. Can I keep my job, please? So you'll, you'll, you'll see here in a second. Here's, here's where we're headed today. Maybe you know why he's happy that I'm teaching today. Here's the topic. Here's the piece of the Nicene Creed we're going to be sitting inside of. He that is Jesus is to come with the same body and with the glory of the Father to judge the living and the dead. Of his kingdom, there is no end. (sighs) Can you feel the weight in that statement? Today we're talking about the fact that God is judge and he's going to return to judge us. Just saying that, you can feel like the pin drop quiet in the room and across the campuses, I'm sure. Have you ever felt judged? I'm curious. Like maybe it was the first day of school. Have you ever felt judged? I remember going to second grade, and like in first grade, uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were the rage. So I got the backpack and showed up to second grade with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Everyone switched to Mario. I was like, "We're not doing the Teenage Mutant." Ninja- okay, cool. And my parents were like not buying another backpack. I felt judged. Maybe maybe you've been on a first date, and you're like you're waiting, and she walks in, and you're sitting across the table, and you're like, "She's judging me right now. Do I have food in my teeth? Did I dress right? Do I <sighs> Is my breath okay?" You feel you feel judged. Maybe the first date a job. And everyone's looking at you, the new guy, going, man, is this guy gonna pull his weight around here? You know where I always feel judged? I always feel judged when I go out to eat with a foodie. A foodie's like someone who's like, they love food. Like they're, they're into, like, do you taste the, the embers of oak in that? What are you talking about? See, because what I do when I order, like if I get a cheeseburger, I order it with no setup, which means no tomato, no lettuce, no onions. If I want vegetables, I'll order vegetables. I separate business and pleasure. And they, the foodies always look at me and go, but you missed the texture of the shit up. I want ketchup and cheese, but I feel judged. Maybe, maybe you felt judged before. No one likes being judged. It's a bad feeling, right? Like it feels like they're looking down on you when you're judged judgment. Like judging is almost like a curse word in our culture. If you notice that, like, don't judge me. Like this is a judgment free zone. You do you, I'll do me, don't judge me, I won't judge you. That's sort of how our culture works these days. But here's the problem. What happens when your no-judgment zone crashes into my no-judgment zone and you hurt me or someone I love? Still, are we good with no judgment? How, how does that play out? See, have you ever felt like you were wronged or hurt by somebody? This is where the rubber starts to meet the road in this conversation. Have you ever felt like someone hurt you? Maybe they lied to you, cheated you, stole from you, talked behind your back. Have you ever felt that way? See, maybe maybe you've heard my family's story from years ago. My parents were in a horrific car accident some 13 years ago. They were hit by a young kid that was driving incredibly recklessly. And several years after the accident, my mom eventually passed away from her injuries. And I was wronged. My family had been wronged. And this kid, after the accident, went on to get two more DUIs another couple reckless driving tickets, and the DA was like, we're done. So they took him to trial for vehicular manslaughter. And I remember they asked me and my father to come in the courtroom to give a family impact statement. And so I remember walking into the courtroom and the weight of being in the courtroom and seeing the judge up on the bench. It's like, Whoa. and in that moment, I wanted Justice. I wanted the judge to bring down justice because I had been harmed. And when you're harmed, what do you want? You want justice. Will the judge bring down a harsh judgment to make right what was wronged? And that 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 feeling we have when we've been wronged, where we want justice, that's God given. Like that's the Imago Day, the image of God imprinted on all of us. Like that's a natural feeling. Let me ask you the second question. Have you ever wronged somebody else? This is where it gets complicated. See, when I've been wronged, I want judgment. And when I wrong somebody else, I want mercy. Isn't it true? I remember the second time I was in a courtroom. I was in uh, Gainesville, taking my wife and family out to dinner. And traffic in Gainesville is just a mess. Like the roads are small and nothing's thought out. It's crazy. Fire Branch campus, you know what I'm talking about. So I I got in a line of cars and didn't realize that it was stopped at the next red light. And I was stuck in the intersection blocking the red light behind it. And so literally the light turned red. I got stuck. I couldn't back up, couldn't go forward. And there's cars that have a green light and they can't go in there. I'm just like, I'm so sorry. It's my bad. The problem was the second car back was a police car. And so as soon as the light turned green, whoop, whoop, came up behind me. That that sound, whoop, whoop, somebody just, your your heart jumped. Pulled up behind me. I pulled into a parking lot. He was super cool, but he was like, I'm going to give you a ticket. This is a non-moving violation. No big deal. I thought, you know what? Bygones be bygones. It happens. Two weeks later, I called. The fine was $625 for blocking an intersection. So I said, I'm fighting this. So I drive all the way back to Gainesville some months later for my trial date. And this time, I wasn't the one looking for judgment. See, I sat down with the judge, and I, I had my sort of Johnny Cochran moment. I said, do you have any proof that I blocked the intersection? If the, if the glove don't fit, you must quit. And he said, actually, here's a picture. And I was like, this is me sitting there. I'm like, at that, at that point, I had no fight left in me. I just, I was like, literally, I said, judge, can you have mercy? $600 for this, $620, what are you talking about? He lowered the ticket in half, but when I, when I was in the defendant's seat, I wanted mercy. See, it's complicated. When I'm in the wrong, I want mercy. When someone wronged me, I want justice. And if, if admittedly our view of what just judgment and unjust judgment changes based on who we are in the courtroom, how do we sort this thing out? See, there has to be a judge over all of these things. Because my view of what just judgment is different Then yours, if you hurt me or I hurt you, it's all a mess. And yet what the the, the Nicene Creed is claiming today is that God is the judge over all of this and he will bring justice in a way that only he can. In fact, I want us to read that creed one more time. I want you to see it one more time. He, that is Jesus, is to come with the same body, that's his resurrected body, happy Easter, and with the glory of the Father to judge, there's that word again, to judge the living and the dead, Of his kingdom, there is no end. See, what we're talking about today is that God is going to judge us. It's a heavy thought. I want you to see how this plays out. Last weekend, we talked about the person of Jesus, if you remember this. And what we talked about is that Jesus came down in human flesh, and he walked the earth. And what did he do? He pulled up a chair with sinners. Remember that Zacchaeus story last weekend, and we told you this is who Jesus is. He left heaven, took on human flesh, came to earth, and he pulled up a chair with sinners. But scripture tells us that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes the second time, he's not going to pull up his chair with sinners. Listen, he's going to pull up his chair to the judge's bench. And he's going to sit, and he's going to judge the living and the dead the sinful, the the righteous. He's going to deal with sin. So here's how scripture talks about it. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, saying that Jesus is going to judge us. See why Kevin asked me to teach this week. See, this is going to be a heavy weekend. You can feel the weight of it right now. As I sit behind the, the judge's bench. See, I grew up in a tradition that sort of knew how to preach the fire and brimstone, the Turner burn. Maybe you've heard those phrases and that, that's, that's not my aim today. I, I'm not trying to scare you. It's just that I love you too much for you not to know the truth. How much would I have to despise you to know what is coming and not tell you the truth? See, my heart in the rest of our time together is that you would understand what is about to happen in eternity, and we're going to walk through the courtroom of heaven, if you will, and there's going to be a wait to today. I wish I could tell you there's joke, 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 joke is not. So I want us all collectively here across the campus. Let's all take a breath on three. One, two, three. Inhale. There's weight to this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this should drive you to gratitude for Jesus. As you maybe, maybe you've never understood what he really did for you. If you're sort of a seeker or you're a cynic or you're sort of unbelieving and you're trying to wrestle this stuff down, this should give you pause and should make you consider we're going to talk about the fact that God is judge. And I want to pray for us as we jump in, because this is heavy. So you pray with me. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would use the words of this teaching, the words of your scripture, the words of the creed. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would convince, you would convict, you would open eyes, you would open hearts, you would prepare us for your word. And God, as we unpack this thought, that God, you are judge, With those people who are among us here at 12 Stone Home, across campuses, maybe you're watching online by yourself, if you are asking questions about who God is and how this whole thing plays out, Holy Spirit, would you turn on spiritual light switches today? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first point. We're going to walk through this metaphor that scripture uses of a courtroom. Here's the first point. There's a trial coming. There's nothing you can do, or I can do, or Billy Graham could do, or the Apostle Paul could do to stop it. There is a trial coming. When you die, you will face God, and he will be in judgment over you. And this is going to go bad news before it goes good news, so buckle up. See, if you were to study the book of Romans, you would discover that Paul, the, the primary way that the Apostle Paul wrote in that book was, uh, was using the metaphor of the courtroom to illustrate the gospel. Like he used actual courtroom justice, judicial terms, so that the people that would have heard it back in that, those days would have heard those terms and went, he's talking about a courtroom. Like they would have seen the inference. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 14. For we all, for for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is a sobering thing. Let the weight of this settle on you. You will give an account to God about how you lived in this life. And for many of us, the biggest view we have of existence is the, the 80 or so years you get on this earth. But listen, what this is telling us is there is another life after this one. And the way you live in this life will be held accountable in the next life. There's a trial coming. And you go, why does there have to be A trial, Like, what's this whole, why do we have to do this? Well, because evil action has to be dealt with. The same reason that that young man who hit my mom and dad in the car, there had to be a trial because evil had to be dealt with because God is good. And if God is good, then bad cannot exist without righteous justice. See, God cannot allow bad to happen and him not deal with it. He can't let sin stand. There has to be a trial. If God didn't deal with sin, he would no longer be God. He would would be violating his very nature. See, scripture is so clear that he planted the law, the Ten Commandments. He gave us the Ten Commandments, and he said, listen, if you break these, there will be consequences. And if you've broken those, there has to be a trial, because justice has to prevail. That's who God is. That's his very nature. So if there is a trial coming, you can't stop it. What's the next piece? Secondly, if there's a trial, then God is judge. That's what the Nicene Creed is claiming, that God is the one officiating the trial. He will sit in the judge's bench, and he will have the gavel in hand. And God is uniquely positioned to be the judge because God is the only one holy enough not to let injustice stand. God's the only one omniscient enough to know everything and that everyone has done so no one can hide from His. God's the only one powerful enough to actually do what he promised. God is the only one impartial and fair enough so that there's no special treatment for anybody. We're all equal. We all equally face judgment. And yet we live in a time where we have set ourselves up as judge and God's character is on trial. Have you noticed that? Suddenly in in this culture, we've, we've set ourselves as the judge and we're questioning, how is God good? This is terrible. We're questioning the character of God. And the only thing that allows us to have hope is that the character of God never changes. It's why he can't change the rules at the end of the game. He can't move the end zone. He can't change how the score is kept because that is his very nature. See, on Judgment Day, God will decipher good from evil, holy from sinful, and he will be the impartial judge. Let me just pull aside for a second. This might be really good news for some of you because listen, if God is judged, that means you don't have to be. Let me just talk to maybe it's like one person across the whole church, but maybe it's a lot. If God's judged, you don't have to be. And maybe there's things you're carrying that people hurt you and wounded you, and you don't know how to forgive because you don't see justice. And you're walking through this life going, how did they get away with that? How could they not have been punished for that? If God is judged, you don't have to be. You can set down the unforgiveness, the hurt, the pain, the anger, because if he's judged, you don't have to. Here's what scripture says. Like God speaks to this directly. Here's what he says. Do not avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Maybe that's a promise for you to take home, going, listen, if you're carrying hurt and shame and baggage and anger and unforgiveness, maybe the only thing you hear all day is this. If God's judge, you don't have to be. See, God, the end of time, stand and he will be the judge. If God's the judge, how does the rest of the courtroom play out? Where do we sit? Well, I got bad news. You're gonna sit as the defendant. See, in this trial, you're not on the prosecution side, you're on the defendant. You're, you are going to be judged. God is judge, and you'll stand in the defendant's box and you'll stand trial for every lie, everything you cheated, everything you stole. Every private secret sin, God sees all of it, and you will stand trial for everything. And it's, it's so easy to run through this life thinking you're getting away with something. See, my son Lincoln, he loves to sneak into the pantry because he has a sweet tooth. And he'll sneak in there, and what he doesn't realize is chocolate melts easily. And so he'll go in there and grab a chocolate granola bar when he knows he's not supposed to, cram it down, and come out, swallow it, and be like, what? Like, son... You got chocolate all over your face. He's like, what are you talking about? He, he thinks he's going to actually get away with not being punished for stealing chocolate when he shouldn't. But some of us walk through our life thinking, I'm getting away with something. See, this is not the reality. You and I will stand in the defendant's box. God will be judged. We will be the defendants. And it's not just for the really bad people. It's not just for the murderers child predators, the rapists, it's not just, it's for all of us. In fact, Romans 3 23 says it quite clearly for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all means all everybody. There's only one person who walked sinless, did it perfect. That was Jesus. The rest of us, we've all sinned and there's no getting away with it for all have sinned and God detests sin because sin destroys everything it touches. It destroys marriages and relationships. It destroys character. It destroys your soul. God detests sin, and he is counting down the days until his wrath can be unleashed on sin, and he can erase it from the earth. The problem is you and I have sin in us. We will stand in the defendant's box. I told you it was going to be heavy. I'm going to make it personal. You will face your maker. Your parents aren't going to be there to hold your hand. You're not going to have a high-priced lawyer that's going to get you off on a technicality. Your pastor's not going to stand next to you and vouch for you. The homeless guy you gave a dollar to is not going to be there like, he's pretty generous. No. It's you and your maker. And the news gets more sobering. You will be found guilty. I'm not trying to scare you. I love you too much for you not to know this. You will be found guilty. You will have no leg to stand on. Because you've sinned, and so have I. See, to fully understand the courtroom, you have to understand how you stand before God. God gave us the Ten Commandments as the law, and every time you break. One of the Ten Commandments, or now the New Testament standards, even higher. Every time you break one of those things, it's like the Ten Commandments arrest you and bring you into the courtroom and charge you before God, saying, you are a sinner and you are guilty. So let's test it. If you've ever lied, don't raise your hands. It's going to get super weird. Just in your heart, you know if you're raising your hand. Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen? Have Have you ever talked bad about someone behind their back? Have you ever done something out of the wrong motives? Have you ever hid something from your spouse that you knew if she found out you're being sneaky? Have you ever done those things? If so, you're toast. You will stand in judgment and you will be found guilty. And the news goes from bad to worse. Romans 6.23 tells us this. For the wages of sin is death. Your sentence will be death. And you're looking at me going, you're a buzzkill today, bro. I came here to get lifted up for the week. Your sentence is death. You'll spend eternity apart from God in hell. And our culture doesn't like to talk about hell anymore, but hell is a real place. And it's for anybody who rejects God. And you'll live there for eternity. I love you too much for you not to know that. And you look and go, the wages of sin is death. Like it was like a white lie. How, how, how come the, the sentence doesn't fit the crime? Like it feels like I blocked an intersection and you charged me $600. That doesn't feel like it balances out. Well, why is the wages of sin death? Because sin is not offensive just because of the act itself. It's because of who it offends. If you were to come on my property and kick one of my trees, I'd be like, that was weird. I'm not that mad. You were to come on my property, you kick a dog. Like, I don't know who that dog is. I was, again, weird and mean, but you come on my property, you kick my baby. Suddenly I'm offended. Why? Because you offended me now. You kick a tree and it's like, you're weird, whatever. I'm not that offended. You kick my son. You kick my baby. You mess with me. And the offense suddenly is larger. It's the same action, kicking, but because it offended someone different. Your sin has offended the God of the universe. The consequences are massive. Sin is punishable by death because of who it offended. You and I have made enemies with the God of the universe. And he will sit in judgment over us. I want you to to hear the string of events. There's a trial coming. You can't stop it. God will be judge. You will be the defendant. You will be found guilty. And the sentence for your crime is death. I, I, I think the world tells us, don't think about that. Push that down the road. If you're honest, like if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if I asked you and you could be honest, you'd probably say something like, I'll figure it out when I get to that moment. As if like I didn't study for the test, I'll, I'll make some good guesses tomorrow and I'll pass the test somehow. Like Somehow I'll get in that moment, I'll talk my way out of it, I'll ask for a second chance, I'll make promises. God, if you just let me do this, I promise. And I'm telling you, that's not how it works. It will be too late. See, it's a sobering reality. I'm not making this up, it's not a fairy tale, it's not folklore, it's not legend. This is as real as the chair you're sitting on. You will be judged, you will be found guilty, and the punishment for that is death eternally. But there's one more piece I want you to see. I want you to put yourself back in the courtroom. You stand in the courtroom of eternity, and God sits behind the desk, the judge's bench if you will, and you stand before him, and in that moment, I can assure you, you will fully understand that you deserve this. You will fully, in his holiness, in his presence, you will, you will not second guess why it's happening. You won't sit there going, I don't get it. In his presence, you will suddenly realize you deserve it. There's no confusion. Death is the just punishment. You will be declared guilty. And as God lifts the gavel to sentence you to death, I want you to see this. Jesus will step out from behind the judge's bench and he'll make his way to the defendant's box and he'll stand next to you in the defendant's box and he'll say, God, I want to take the sentence for them. (sighs) You've been found guilty. You deserve the wrath of God and it's about to come down. And Jesus steps out from behind the judge's bench He steps in the defendant's box with you. He says, I want to take the sentence that they deserve. God, put it on me. See, God's wrath has to go somewhere against sin. God can allow sin and evil to stand. His wrath has to be poured out, and it will be poured out on you. Except Jesus steps in and says, I want to offer to take your sentence. See, that's the fifth thing you need to know about this trial, is that Jesus offers to take your sentence. See, when you were guilty, when you had no leg to stand on, Jesus stepped in in Romans three twenty-five, Here's, here's what God says to us. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Jesus Christ is going to atone for your sin. Here's what that means. God didn't change the sentence. He changed who received the sentence. See, many of us think God like, all right, I'll let him off easy this time. Okay, the sentence can be erased. No big deal. No, the sentence will be pronounced. It's just pronounced on Jesus instead of you. God can't lower his bar, lower his standard of holiness. God can't, God can't not pour his wrath out on the evil and the sin. He has to pour it out. And when God's wrath was going to be poured out on you, it was poured out on Jesus instead. See, that's the good news of the gospel. For something to have good news, it has to start with bad news. And the bad news is that you will be guilty. The good news is Jesus offers to take your sentence. That's good news. And I want to I read through a long scripture. It's Isaiah 53. Because I don't think sometimes we get the gravity of what Jesus did for us. Because on the cross... What you saw play out on the cross was your punishment. That was your sentence for your sin. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, his own son, because he so wanted to make a way for you to come back to him, that he would agree to let his son take the punishment you deserve and I deserve. See, God can't become less. God can't not judge. God can't let you off with a warning. God can't lower his standard. God can't lower his anger towards sin. Someone has to take it. And as we read Isaiah 53, what I'm reading is the punishment that you and I deserved. What I'm reading is an an account. This is a prophecy proclaiming what Jesus was going to do. And this is exactly what happened. If you're a believer, this is a moment that the Holy Spirit should stir up gratitude. Oh God, what you did for me. If you're a seeker, if you're skeptic, if you're spiritually unresolved, you're trying to figure this out. This is what God did for you and his son, Jesus. Here's Isaiah 53. But the fact is, it was our pains Jesus carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it upon himself that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all of our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on Jesus. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice was miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. He was perfect. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush Jesus with the pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, more life, more life today. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. That is what Jesus did. That was our sentence. And yet people still say, how could a loving God sentence somebody to hell?" If you want to spend eternity in hell, you can. But you would literally have to step over the person of Jesus to get there. He's standing there going, you don't have to take the punishment. You are guilty as sin. But you you don't have to take the punishment. Jesus offers to take your sentence for you. He offers to step out of the judge's bench and into the defendant's box and say, I will take what you deserve. But you have to receive it. Can't just be like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll take that. No, you have to receive the gift of salvation. Romans 10, 9 explains it like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you have to believe that this is true. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place. I receive forgiveness for my sins. Jesus died to pay the penalty. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should move you to gratitude and action. Listen, if if you're a follower of Jesus, this should move your heart to a newfound gratitude. This is what God did for you. When you say, I'm a Christian, that's not a cheap, flippant statement. No, all of that was poured out on Christ in your place. Gratitude should swell from your heart. Oh, what a kind, loving God. But it should move you to action because everybody you know will stand trial too. Parents, it doesn't matter if your kid gets straight A's does great in sports, gets a scholarship to college, lands a great job, finds a great spouse, buys a great house. If they don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. Listen, you know people that are near to you and far from God, and for too long we've been okay with that. How can you know they're gonna stand judgment and not share your faith? Like this is as real as the table right here. This will happen. If you're a follower of Jesus, may the Holy Spirit ignite a fresh passion to open your mouth. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Invite them to church. Get them here. You don't have to answer all their questions, but you can say, Jesus changed everything for me. And listen, if you're a skeptic, a seeker, spiritually unresolved, this should move you to pause and consider. What if everything I said is true? What if everything in Scripture? Is true. What if you will one day stand judgment before your maker? If that's true, it changes everything. See, whether you believe it or not, I believe with all my heart that this is going to be a reality for everybody. And I don't say it to you to scare you. This is not fear mongering. I say this to you because I love you. And God loves you so dearly he sent Jesus so you wouldn't have to be punished see God is absolutely wild about you and Jesus offers to take your punishment but you have to receive it and you ask why in the world would anyone reject this offer from God two reasons one this requires that you admit you're a sinner You have to admit, I'm not good enough. I can't fix what I've broken. I can't earn enough things to get right with God. You have to admit, you are a sinner. And secondly, this thing demands your whole life. This is not just a quick prayer that's like, here's your your ticket to get out of hell free. That's not what this is. When you realize the length God's gone to rescue you, this thing requires your life. I lay my life down and give it to you. My life is no longer my own, Jesus. If that's what you did for me, I give you everything. This is a costly decision. And maybe you're sitting inside of this service. If you're watching at home, maybe you're watching online. And the Holy Spirit, for the first time, you're going, what if this is true? Pause and maybe Reconsider. Because if it is, it changes everything. And you can't be religious enough, you can't be kind enough to fix what's broken. God's wrath will pour out on sin. And Jesus offers to take his wrath in your place. And if today you're sitting and you're going, I want to I accept that offer, I want to take the offer, I want Jesus to step into my, my de- defendants box and, and I want him to say, yes, I'll give, you, I'll give you forgiveness and I will take your punishment. Maybe your prayer would sound something like this, I'm going to read it first. Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner that will stand trial before you. I have no ability to save myself from the judgment that will come from my sin. But I trust Jesus as the forgiver of my sins. Thank you for allowing Jesus to take my punishment. I give you my life, and I will follow you with the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. That, that prayer is not magic words. It's not like a magic spell that if you say it right, magic happens, and suddenly you won't go to hell. This is a posture of the heart, a roadmap of what you're declaring to God. And here and across our campuses, I want to invite everybody to stand. If you're at 12 Sun Home Homestand, if you're comfortable. And we're going to offer this prayer out loud, all of us, because that's what family does. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, this is almost like a, a recommitting saying, Jesus, I recognize what you did. And I, st- I still stand by this prayer that I offered. And maybe for some, this is the first time you've ever saying yes to Jesus. You're surrendering right now. You're saying, Jesus, I, I receive your gift of salvation. I want us to read this collectively out loud here at the campuses, all of us together. Let's read it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner that will stand trial before you. I have no ability to save myself from the judgment that will come from my sin. But I trust Jesus as the forgiver of my sins. Thank you for allowing Jesus to take my punishment. I give you my life and will follow you with the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what's gonna happen here across the campuses at 12 Stone Home. The bands are stepping up across the campuses, and we're gonna lead you in a a song that we already sung. And this song just reaffirms, re-declares the lengths that God's willing to go to rescue you. And maybe you'll sit inside of this song and and. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. You're spiritually unresolved. You're seeking. You're trying to figure this thing out. Maybe the Holy Spirit will just prompt your heart again to say, listen, would you just give me your life and I will save yours in eternity? And if you offered that prayer today and this was like your moment of salvation where you laid your life down and said, Jesus, I I received the gift of salvation. Would you please text the word Jesus to 37748? Would you please just grab your phone right now And text Jesus at 37748 so that we can encourage you on the journey, teach you how to walk in this new life. There's so much more than just being spared from hell in this relationship with your heavenly father. But I would invite you, I would encourage you, would you lean your heart in as we sing this song, followers of Jesus, may gratitude swell in your heart for what he did for you. People that are seeking, would the Holy Spirit continue to convince and convict and draw you to himself? So across the campuses in 12 Stone Home, would you worship well as the bands lead us?
0: Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 stone church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories and make sure to tag 12 stone church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again. And we'll catch you on the next one.